Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome back to Get Your Goat. What's in store today? Well, the Lions and Packers recap that Monday night game. Looking ahead to tomorrow night's Thursday night football game between the Carolina Panthers and the Houston Texans and already a key starter that is out for the Texans. I'm going to react more to what happened in week two and what I didn't cover in my previous episode. And then I'm going to get into Ben Simmons and the reports that he's done with the Philadelphia 76ers. And then to finish off, the Ryder Cup commences this weekend. Who will win, Europe or USA? Get into that as well. But let's start with the Detroit Lions, Green Bay Packers, Monday night football game. In what really was a tale of two halves, the Detroit Lions came out really, really strong. Uh, right away, they scored on their first drive. Jared Goff marched them down the field. Nice throws. Quintez Cephas, a great catch. Uh, the Packers responded. Aaron Jones. Then the Lions responded again. Uh, Jared Goff drove them down. Then the Green Bay Packers responded. And then a great two-minute drill by the Detroit Lions, just in an effort not to give Green Bay the ball ball back, settled for a field goal. So they take a 17-14 to lead at halftime. Packers' defense didn't look too great. Uh, their offense looked good, but Detroit was operating on a great level offensively. You know, people started to think, could the Lions pull this off? Great first half performance by Jared Goff and company. Quintez Cephas, TJ Hawkinson, they were all starring. Uh, and it looked like this was going to be a really good Monday night football game. Then you have the second half where the Detroit Lions laid an egg. That was typical uh, Detroit, you know, everything that could go right in the first half for them. Went right in the second half was not, uh, didn't score any points in the second half. Outscored 21 to 0, lost 35 17, down a couple of cornerbacks. Aaron Rodgers took advantage of that, uh, couldn't tackle Devontae Adams or Robert Tunyon. Aaron Jones had himself a day, four total touchdowns, one rush, and two receiving touchdowns. The Aaron to Aaron connection was there Monday night. And Detroit Lions could do nothing in the second half uh, to stop it. They also had key plays in the second half that were uh, demoralizing to them. One is they were marching down the field. It was a fourth and one, and it was a bad play call. I'll blame that on whoever called that, either Dan Campbell or uh, the offensive coordinator, uh, Kellen Moore, did not like that play call at all. Not good. Fourth and one. They had a tough time stopping the run because Detroit Lions offensive line looked really good that game. They were able to protect Jared Goff really well in the first half. They were able to balance it out 
with the run efficiently. So I thought fourth and one, this could be an easy run. Uh, but they run a kind of a, a fade out move with Quintez Cephas. Uh, misplaced ball. They don't convert. And you kind of say that is the game right there. They were in field goal range. I know Seibert's not the best kicker. But you're in field goal range to make it 21 to 20. And you come out with zero points because of a turnover on down, which is huge. Can't make that mistake against the Packers, especially with the team that they have. Then a couple drives later, rain's coming down and costly turnover by uh, Jared Goff, where, you know, he's underneath the center, you know, in the eye formation and or a single back formation and takes a snap ball just slips out of his hands and gets down on the ground and it's like watching a kid uh when you take away their glasses and you throw something on the ground and they don't know where it's at so they're feeling around and they just can't do it that was jared goff monday night where fumbled the football and he was just on his knees looking around for it didn't know where it was at recovered by the Green Bay Packers. That was big. Threw an interception as well. Another costly play on, uh, I think, second or third down where he went to throw it. And he actually threw it backwards because of a rain. The ball just slipped out of his hands backwards. Uh, thankfully, the Lions recovered that one. Uh, but miscues in the second half killed this team. And what otherwise, to me... Ruined a great first half performance uh, from the Detroit Lions where they outgained the Packers in this uh, game by 20 points, uh, 20 yards, 344 to 323. Uh, Jared Goff, you know, was right there with Aaron Rodgers in terms of passing yards, 246 uh, to 255. And they had more rushing yards, 108. Uh, to 96. The defense played well too. They got after Aaron Rodgers, sacked him three times. It was really the fourth down efficiency, 0 for 2 uh, as well. Key third downs where the plays weren't right. So, and again, this team isn't good. Nine penalties, 78 yards. Uh, I look at their schedule, the Detroit Lions, and I think, are they capable of going 0 and 17? That begs the question now. Because if they were to play the first half against the Packers the way they did it, if they were to play that first half in the second half against the Packers, they would have won that game. Uh, they'd win a lot of games if they play the way they play that first half or that second half against the 49ers. So this team has just been a tale of two halves. Great second half one week, great first half one week, and then it's the total opposite uh, the other half. But you look at their schedule and there is just not a lot of winnable games. You know, there's six games against your division. They just lost one to the Packers. So if they play them again, they play two more against the Bears, who are a better team. Vikings, who are just on the wrong end to me, of being 0-2. And then the other games are just tough. You look at, you know, the Ravens, the Rams, the Steelers, the Browns, uh, the Titans. I'm not my bad. The Cardinals, uh, the Seahawks. I mean... This is not a favorable schedule for the Detroit Lions. I think they're going to be lucky to pull out a game or two, maybe against the Eagles or Falcons, uh, depending on how those other two teams look. But it's going to be a long season for Detroit. I kind of like 
you know, a nonstop spirit, but that's what we see in Detroit. Uh, to me, that's not similar of the coach uh, because, you know, with Matthew Stafford in years past, even when they've been out, you know, they still give it their all, try to make comebacks. So that's just, to me, the resilient culture that's just passed on through. Uh, through each Detroit Lion team, that comes through. So that's what I think about Detroit Green Bay. You know, after a abysmal performance against the Saints, truly, truly terrible, you were wondering how they were going to bounce back, and they did offensively. Uh, they were more in sync. Aaron Rodgers in the postgame uh, wanted to call out all the trolls after the one game, so good for him. But the key is also this defense. This defense doesn't look really good. And how does this offense do when it faces a good defense? This offense before is easily stymied by good defenses. Uh, We look at the 49ers games in the past. You see the Seahawks when they used to have a good defense. The Bucks uh, last year when this team faces a good defense. uh, It really hurts this team next week. They face a really good defense. And the 49ers, how will they fare there? The week after they face the Steelers, another good defense. How will they fare there? Uh, They face the Rams as well, uh, the Washington football team. So I want to see this offense face really good defenses and kind of playoff matchups as well uh, where they play the NFC West, all four teams. Those are playoff caliber games. How do they play in each of those matchups? That's how I really want to evaluate the Packers because I wasn't high on the Detroit Lions going in. I say, you know, they were going to be the second worst team. Right now, they could be the worst team. And then the Saints, I know we got crushed by the Saints. I was not high on the Saints either. Still, I'm not high on the Saints. Uh, That was an eerie loss, but we see teams every year kind of have one lopsided bad loss that's kind of out of the ordinary, and that's a week one loss. So I won't hold that against them too much, uh, considering I don't think Green Bay will have too many more losses. The Lions have a lot of issues to fix, and I think the Packers' defense needs to get better. Now moving on to tomorrow's night, Thursday night football matchup between the Carolina Panthers and... The Houston Texans. Who will win? I'm going with the Carolina Panthers right there. Christian McCaffrey has been brilliant. 45 carries, 170 yards. Uh, Been great in a receiving game as well. Uh, Sam Darnold's been efficient. Hasn't turned the ball over yet. Like we're accustomed to seeing. Uh, But the key loss for Houston is at quarterback. Uh, Tyrod Taylor has been efficient, been a great game manager, hasn't made the detrimental plays. He's thrown for 416 yards and three touchdowns, but he will not play tomorrow. So that's a huge loss uh, because he was playing really good against Cleveland, played great against Jacksonville the week before, injured his left hamstring. Now he's on injured reserve, means he's going to miss the next three games, and this changes the outlook of the Houston team. Now David Mills will get the start, the rookie that they selected last week through eight completions out of 18 attempts, 102 yards with one touchdown pass and one interception. Uh, 
Coley, the quarter, or by, uh, my bad, the coach, says that he's ready uh, to play. And Jeff Driscoll is getting called up from the package squad to back up Davis Mills. Now, we really haven't seen much of Davis Mills. Yes, a half last week where it wasn't too impressive, but this is his first week of action. I just don't see it happening. I don't see Davis Mills pulling off, you know, an upset with this team, especially because he doesn't have any great talent around him offensively where, you know, Brandon Cooks is your best wide receiver on this team. Mark Ingram is your best running back. So usually if I were to pick an upset like this or a key to the game, it'd probably be uh, the rushing game. And do they have a running back they can rely on uh, for 20 to 25 carries to get them 100 plus yards? And no, they don't have that. Mark Ingram uh, with 40 carries uh, so far, only 126 yards in two games. So they can't really rely on the ground game too much. Uh, they don't have big playmakers over there at wide receiver as well. Uh, and to me, this is not a great defense either. Uh, you're talking about a defense that no longer has J.J. Uh, Watt. Long gone is Jadavion Clowney. Once upon a time, they had uh, Tyran Matthew. So this whole team is really in shambles. Uva Deshaun Watson is still weighing over this franchise as well. Uh, so just with this mess, there's not much I like uh, from Houston. Maybe I say the only uh, likely way is if Davis Mills has himself a vintage performance. Uh, the secondary for Carolina, you know, is not great. It's more built on their front four. Uh, but you do have, you know, Gross Matos, who could be out. You know, they have Burns, who's a playmaker uh, there as well. So the key will be Davis Mills. Uh, is he going to take a step up and outplay uh, Sam Darnold and not make key mistakes? That's going to be the key if they're going to win the game tomorrow night. But I don't like it. I think Carolina will win. I think Sam Darnold will make you know just pl enough plays, uh, bailed out by Christian McCaffrey a few times. And I think Carolina... Uh, we'll get the win easily handled here uh, for Thursday night football. Now moving on to some more Week 2 reactions. The first is the Cleveland Browns. What do I have to react to them about? Well, Jarvis Landry is out, and he's on uh, the injured reserve, so he'll be out at least... Uh, three weeks due to a leg injury or a knee injury. And to me, this is huge because I've been saying, do the Browns really need Odell Beckham Jr.? Because they have a great you know, wide receiver, a core group of guys uh, with Rashawn Higgins, Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know, the new guy, rookie. Uh, forget his name, but he's in there right now. They're finding him ways to get involved, and he's making plays as well. Excellent spin move uh, last week against the Texans. I mean, they have it. But Jarvis Landry is kind of the key, the role, the leader of the wide receiver group. So now with him out, it causes for concern because 
I do think they need one or the other is kind of the alpha in this wide receiver group. I think, and Baker needs that as well. Very great connection with Jarvis Landry. I think you need Odell Beckham Jr. back now to help this team out. I think that's needed. Uh, I don't think you can have both of them out long term and hope to win uh, big games and playoff games with no Jarvis Landry and no Odell Beckham Jr. They need one or the other. And if both of them are hurt, this will cause big problems for the Cleveland Browns. Because I know they're a running team. I know they're going to rely on Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt probably more now. You're still going to open up a play action and hope that one of those guys I mentioned can find an open hole in zone coverage or be his man a one-on-one or find creative ways to just get them involved and hope they make a play. But this really hurts this team to have both Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry out. We know for sure that Jarvis Landry will be gone three weeks, but what's up with Odell Beckham Jr.? The rehab was looking promising, thought he was going to start week one. He didn't. Maybe week two, again, surprised when it was announced early last week that he wasn't going to start. So what's the deal with Odell Beckham Jr.? Is he really rehabbing well from that knee injury? Is that really the case? Because can he play? Or are they looking to trade Odell and they don't want him out on the field to get him injured again where that ruins all the trade value? I think that's a really serious question to ask since we have seen uh, them play so well without Odell Beckham. But the question is, can they still play that same way of football they want with no Jarvis Landry as well? I think that will be answered this week. Who knows if Odell Beckham Jr. plays, but they play the Chicago Bears, who are no scrubs themselves, who have a decent defense, probably Justin Fields' first time start. Uh, so I think we'll get a true test there uh, from the Browns to see uh, can they handle and withstand key injuries to the wide receiver group. Next is Tom Brady. Leading the league in touchdowns at nine, one short of a record through two games, which is 10 by Patrick Mahomes. Everybody saying he's 44 Going on 24, he's better than uh, he looks now at his age at 44 than 24. And that's funny that a lot of people are now saying that when I've been saying that all along, I will even give a shout out uh, to another sports analysis I like uh, about Tom Brady, really only, and that's Skip Bayless, who also loves Tom Brady, we've both been saying that that Tom Brady is the GOAT. There's no denying that at 44 years old, his mechanics, uh, what he does, his clutchness, his leadership uh, is greater now than it was at 24 and is better than still every other quarterback in the league at 44. So right now, uh, he has nine touchdowns. Through two games, uh, is there a realistic chance that he will break uh, Peyton Manning's 
touchdown record through, uh, what's it, 17? Yeah, 17 games now, 18 weeks. Is there a realistic chance? I think there is. Really do. Uh, And this is a great offense. And this is a passing offense. I think there is a chance that he breaks Peyton Manning's touchdown record of 55. And I think he'd want to do it before the last game because with this extra game, you know, people can say, and even Peyton can say, well, you know, he had an extra week. You know, if I had an extra week, I'd have 60. Well, that can make the case. What if Tom Brady gets 60 touchdowns? Is that out of the equation? No, it's not because this is not a running team. Maybe on the occasion, Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette, you know, will break, you know, the long occasional run. But this is a team that's passing anywhere from 40 to 60 times a game, and they're only rushing uh, 20 to 30 times a game, if that, with their running back. So this is a team built on throwing the football. They have the weapons uh, to throw to. So I really do think Tom Brady could break Peyton Manning's touchdown record. Maybe if he doesn't break it, I think he could still lead the league in touchdowns last year. Through 40 passing touchdowns at the age of 43, looks better than he did last year already. Brady still says there's stuff to clean up and learn, which I agree with. But I think Tom Brady will prove, again, more people wrong this year and is glad that more people are recognizing how great Tom Brady is because maybe after he wins the eighth this year, you guys can say, you know, that's it. You know, let's crown him the GOAT unanimously, like I've been saying, and he can walk away from football. He's got seven rings so far of a magnificent seven, but he needs to get to eight to be the great eight. So now with that said, how good Tom Brady looks, I've been saying the Bucks will go 20-0. How realistic is that? With this offense, very realistic. I like it. I like all the weapons they have. It's just a mashup nightmare because no defense, no defense in the league can cover Rob Gronkowski, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, and, you know, Giovanni Bernard or uh, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette out of a backfield. No team has the defensive weapons uh, to cover all of those players. Now, Antonio Brown is just listed on the COVID list. So I think that hurts, especially now when, to me, they're going into their next two biggest games of the season. Their next two games are the biggest games. They're facing what's going to be their toughest defensive test and, to me, their toughest road test this year in one game against the Los Angeles Rams. This, to me, is a true measuring stick where we're kind of getting, at least to me, a preview of what I think will be the NFC Championship game. And we're going to find out a lot here uh, because how will the Bucks look on offense against a great defense? And how will this defense look? This pass defense has been fairly suspect, and that goes right into Sean McVay and what Matthew Stafford and the Rams have been doing so far. Don't think Daryl Henderson will get a bunch of carries or Sony Michelle. Uh, this rush defense is still really stout. I think they'll stay away and go after these young cornerbacks. 
Matthew Stafford can do it, and he has the weapons in Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. Sean McVay says he wants to get uh, what's his, Deshaun Jackson more involved. So we'll see. We'll see, but to me, this is the Bucks' biggest test because it's on the road. It's facing the toughest defense they'll face, and who knows what will happen. I don't think the week they face after the Patriots will be as tough because that's Tom Brady's homecoming. I think the fans there still adore uh, Tom Brady. It's more of Tom Brady's homecoming back. But we'll see. Still like the Bucks to go 20-0, but this game is a major game circled for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, Big Ben. What's wrong with Big Ben? Well, he has a pec injury, and he says he's going to do everything he can to play this weekend against the Bengals. I'm very, very concerned about this pec injury. Uh, I took a hard hit from Max Crosby, uh, and Roethlisberger got hit, says it's bugging him. Uh, They haven't diagnosed it to say whether it's a torn pec or what, but it's probably some type of strain, and I think that is key. Uh, You know, your chest, you know, you're throwing a football that does involve uh, your pectoral muscle as well. So I think that will affect him. Uh, I think that is key, and I don't want to see him go out there and hurt it even more when you're dependent on your quarterback. We've seen what Mason Rudolph is, and we've seen what Dwayne Haskins is. None of them are Ben Roethlisberger. None of them can play like Ben Roethlisberger or has the knowledge, experience, or the IQ as Ben Roethlisberger. You're playing the Bengals this week. I think I would arrest Big Ben a week just to get him healthy because the week after, you're playing... The Steelers, I, you're playing the Packers, which is a tough game. And I'd rather be more healthy for that game than risk a bigger injury uh, playing the Bengals. Now, another thing. Denver Broncos, edge rusher Bradley Chubb to undergo ankle surgery. To me, this is a big loss uh, to the Denver Broncos who have been playing awfully well Uh this defense has been playing great. Uh, Bradley Chubb, his first game back last week, but is now having ankle surgery uh, to remove a bone spur and will probably be out a decent amount of time, half of the season, probably more. Hoping he'll be back by the end of the year. Who knows where they'll be in that situation. But I think they can withstand that if Von Miller is still there playing good. Uh, if... Uh, the secondary is coming into form with the talent they have on their end. I think they can withstand it. It'll be tough because they're in a tough division. Uh, they have the Raiders who are looking stronger this year. Kansas City Chargers who all uh, pass the football and rely on their quarterback and need a pass rush to get home. Now with just Von Miller, can he do it by himself? That's a question. Can they withstand this injury uh, for that long length of time? The Seattle Seahawks, will their defense please stand up? Has anyone found yet wanted? They went missing uh, starting in the second half of the Tennessee Titans game. Last seen, Lumen Field 
halftime. Put in an APB out for them uh, because they need to step up. This NFC West looks really, really good. They do. Uh, San Francisco, their defense looks great. Not going to lie about that. Los Angeles Rams, their offense looks great. Arizona, their offense looks great. Seattle cannot be having defensive issues like this. Now, the 49ers have a little bit of offensive issues. The Cardinals have a little bit of defensive issues. Uh, The Rams have a little bit of both to me, honestly. But they find ways to win, and it's not detrimental uh, we saw Arizona Cardinals in their defense against the Vikings get a little torched, but it didn't prove to be detrimental. The Seahawks, though, is the one that hurts because, to me, that's the worst defense by far in this division, the NFC West, and they need to stand up and fast if they are hoping to make the playoffs or repeat as division champions. Defense needs to come into form. Jamal Adams has to come into form. And will the 49ers offense please stand up after a great week against the uh, Detroit Lions? Dropped a 41 spot. They faced the Eagles and really, uh, to me, wasn't much there. 189 passing yards, 117 uh, rushing yards. Wasn't a terrific uh, performance, was efficient enough, but their offense is going to have to be better to compete with the Rams offense, who looks like the best Arizona Cardinals, second best Seattle, uh, third best, and then you have San Francisco. But Seattle has the best quarterback out of a bunch. But San Francisco, if they want to win this division as well, they're going to have to find some offense. Their defense can only hold so long, as we saw last week, even the Lions were getting after them. And then the Dolphins rule out uh, Tua Tagovailoa has fractured ribs. Won't play the Raiders. I'm very worried about this. A rib injury carting Tua off the field. Tua has had now had plenty of injuries and it can now, I think, be stated as an injury-prone quarterback. He's week-to-week now. This hurts the Dolphins, who I said could barely make a playoffs this year. Tua had to take the next step. Don't think it's going to happen. Jacoby Brissett now in. This hurts the team. This hurts where they want to be at. Um, where now they play a Raiders team who's coming on. I think you need a Tua in there. Now that you don't, this offense has shown no signs of improvement from last year from what I was hoping they would, especially with the addition of Jalen Waddle. Uh, kind of is stagnant, kind of still the same. This Dolphins team could be in real trouble real soon. So with all that, who are my top five teams in the NFL so far? Who makes up my top five? Well, number five is the Arizona Cardinals. Why? Their offense is great. Kyler Murray playing like the MVP. Backed up his great performance last week against the... uh, Titans now against the Vikings. They're averaging 36 points a game. Cliff Kingsbury is looking like a great offensive coach. However, they need some problems defensively, and Kyler Murray needs to cut down on the mistakes offensively. Can't be throwing 
interceptions, already has three through two games. Those are big. Number four, the San Francisco 49ers. Why? Even though their offense isn't clicking now, I think it can. Debo Samuel has been terrific. Uh, Brandon Ayuk hasn't been targeted much, but he is also a game changer. And they have one of the best tight ends in football, who also they haven't been targeting much, in George Kittle. So they have the weapons there to score more points, which we have seen. Their defense already looking like the top unit in the NFL. Uh, very happy with how Nick Bosa has come back from his torn ACL and how this defense looks. Number three, the Kansas City Chiefs dropped one spot to two, mainly because this defense has serious issues, and I was hesitant to put them there because they have the most explosive offense in football. We see that every week uh, on display by Patrick Mahomes, uh, Travis Kelsey, and his magician-like moves that he put on the Ravens defense. The key is this defense. Can they stop a run? Can they get any stops? Uh, If not, they will be sliding more in the future. Number two, the Los Angeles Rams. Why? Well, their passing attack and their offense looks really good. I thought Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay would be really great together. And it looks that way through two weeks. Looks like uh, Matthew Stafford has found his new favorite target in Cooper Cup. That's a great connection that I think they're going to be rolling with. Uh, for a while. This defense looks good. I like how Jalen Ramsey is being used all over the field. It's kind of a defensive playmaker and not on an island where they won't target throw his way, and he can't make any impact plays that way either. But number one, still be number one until they're dethroned, and that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Their offense to me is right there with the Chiefs making explosive plays, getting the ball down the field. They look good. This pass uh, or this rush defense looks good as well. Number one in the league. I like it. And the only thing that really concerns me is the pass defense. But to me, every level of this team is good. The offensive line, the receiving group, the quarterback, uh, the front seven, again, is just that back four that scares me. But, you know, they're the team with the least amount of issues where you look at the Chiefs and it's a whole collective defensive unit uh, where it's the Rams and depth issues as well and an experience at uh, quarterback and big-time uh, playoff games. Uh, the Cardinals and their shaky defense, their quarterback turning the ball over, over 49ers and really clicking on offense. Tampa Bay Bucks have the least amount of problems to look at. So that's my top five, the Arizona Cardinals, the San Francisco 49ers, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Los Angeles Rams, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now moving on to some NBA news. Haven't talked about NBA in a while, but every now and then there's a storyline that has to be talked about where it's been relatively quiet since the draft and free agency. Not a lot's really been said, Uh, but yesterday the... Uh, ben Simmons announced through an ESPN report is saying that Ben Simmons is done. He does not want to uh, play there anymore. Uh, doesn't want to go back to Philadelphia at all. 
intent on leaving the team. Then Rivers, you know, Doc Rivers, the head coach, uh, called the news conference to say that, you know, we're not giving up on Ben Simmons. Uh, we want him to stay, change our mind. Of course, that's him just saving face and looking good. I really don't think the 76ers want them there as they've been shopping Ben Simmons. And I don't think Ben Simmons wants to be there either. But trust is broken. It's like breaking a mirror and gluing back all the pieces. Uh, you know, the mirror's still there, but it looks way different. I think if Ben Simmons comes back this year, this team will look really different and not in a good way. We'll be in shambles. One wrong thing, and it's all broke again, and why bother fixing it? Uh, so I think they need to trade Ben Simmons. They need to start fresh. I know Doc Rivers is saying the right things, saying the correct things. That's what you want the head coach to say. Uh, but I think it's time if Ben Simmons ain't going to report to Philadelphia and risk out risk money and just sitting out this season, uh, I think it's good for them to find a suitable trade partner to go with. And again, I'm going to point to the Philadelphia 76ers. If it's a one-on-one package or even if they have to trade draft picks for Dame, that's something I do. If it's maybe a Ben Simmons for a C.J. McCollum, uh, Robert Covington, John Collins type package, then you might do that as well because you get a star in some depth as well to help this team, even if it's not a superstar like Damian Lillard. But I know that they want a return to whereas they're going to be good. Last year, they were the number one team in the East. Uh, they beat the Nets a couple times in the regular season as well. They showed they can't compete. It's just in the playoffs taking the next step in the biggest moments, that's where this team crumbled, and they don't want that. They'd rather be a two or three or four seed and be more dangerous in the playoffs. So I think, I hope a trade with Portland works out for one of their two uh, star players. Uh, Ben Simmons moves out to not even in the Eastern Conference anymore. As well, I think will be a great fit for him because this is a defensive player of the year candidate, all uh, NBA defense caliber player, uh, where you know, great distributor of a ball as well. Uh, so I do think he can benefit a team. It's just, I don't think it will be with the Philadelphia 76ers. It's time to break up this part of a process. And get another one. Another NBA news. J.J. Riddick announced retirement yesterday. Great three-point sharpshooter uh, with his career. Uh, averaged 13 points a game. 1,950 uh, career makes from three-point range. That's 15th in NBA history. All-time to me. Great three-point shooter. As well, free throw accuracy, great. Again, getting older, 37 years old. Uh, congratulations for him. Made the playoffs majority of his career, too. It kind of seemed like he was, you know, the playoff kind of guy where they were just making the playoffs with him. Teams that weren't uh, supposed to kind of did it. Was there with, you know, the Clippers, the 76ers. Uh, as well, Magic, uh, Buck. So, 
Congratulations, uh, J.J. Redick, for an outstanding uh, career in the NBA. Now, brief NHL news as well. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov assigned a five-year, $45 million deal extension with the Wild. Great year. Calder Cup uh, trophy winner, which is Rookie of the Year. Had 27 goals and 51 points in 55 games last season, which is excellent. But they had talks where Kaprizov wasn't happy with uh, the contract talks threatened to go to the KHL, uh, which is, I think, a Russian hockey league where he actually played there uh, before playing in the NHL this past year. So I use that. I got a huge contract now, of course, is $9 million a year. So he just had a great season with the Wild. Uh, he's going to have to repeat that success uh, if, you know, to earn up to this kind of money because this is the only season. We've seen from him so far, not like other rookies where we've seen two or three years uh, from a player to then deserve a contract. This is just one year. Uh, he has to hit those marks again uh, to keep on earning his money or else he will be gone. Now, finally, the Ryder Cup. It's back. Supposed to be last year, but delayed uh, due to the pandemic. Last time he played was 2018. Now we have the 2021 Ryder Cup upon us. And is there a feud now between Kepka? No more feud between Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau saying they had dinner last night and uh, the night before and talked about things and great and Bryson said the media blew this thing up. Haven't heard from Kepka yet, but you know we've heard Kepka in the past say, I'll put this aside for one week. I don't want to have dinner with him. So it's funny how he said he didn't want to have dinner with him. Now Bryson's saying they had dinner. I don't know whose side to believe. I know Brooks Kepka is one to speak his mind. Is Bryson calling Brooks a liar or did Brooks really uh, are friends now with DeChambeau or is this just a strictly... No Ryder Cup thing, whereas Kepka has criticized this format before, this team format. He's all about the individual sport, which we have seen uh, before. Now, there's a lot of players. There's 24 players in the Ryder Cup. I'm going to give you my top five players that I think will be. One is Patrick Cantlay. Actually, I should start with number five. This is my bad. Uh, number five, Rory McIlroy. Uh, why? He's just a great uh, a golfer, 15 uh, uh, in world golf ranking, four major championships, has been in five Ryder Cups, 11, 9, and 4. Uh, was close in some tournaments this year, uh, but you know he says he got tired and exhausted uh, towards the end of the year. As well, because this was, you know, the longest season that golf has had. Uh, but, you know, he birdies. He's familiar with this format as more of a winner than a loser in this format. So I think Rory McIlroy will do just fine with his experience and leadership. Uh, he's a key player to have, and that clocks him in at five. Number four, Jordan Spieth. To me, Jordan Spieth is back 
it was a long four years for him, but winning uh, a tournament this year, uh, runner-up at the Open as well, uh, I think it's safe to say that Jordan Spieth is really uh, back, has played in three Ryder Cups with a record of seven, uh, five and two, and I think with him back to form, uh, is kind of that veteran again, uh, near that Rory McIlroy status for Team USA, big get to have. Number three, Justin Thomas, JT. Uh, why? Well, he seems to always uh, play good in almost every tournament uh, that he is in, even if he maybe starts a Thursday round bad. Seems like his name's always up there in contention on a Sunday morning. Again, different format, uh, but one Ryder Cup appearance so far in a 4-1 in one record. That was really good. Him and uh, Jordan Spieth were great together uh, in the President's Cup that they played in. So who knows what will happen there if they're paired to get together again. But I think JT is great. Number two, John Rahm. Why? Well, he was one of the best players in the world this past year. 15 top 10 finishes, won a U.S. Open, uh, was great, but, you know, had uh, some COVID issues. And his Ryder Cup record of one appearance is one and two uh, so far. Uh, so we'll see, you know, if he can build on that and how great of a year he had this year. And then number one is Patrick Cantlay, who I've given away. He's never played in a Ryder Cup before, but he is on fire right now. Uh, won the BMW Championship, then won the Tour Championship, voted PGA Player of the Year. To me, has really just played phenomenal uh, golf. And to me, has played sort of a uh, performance, sort of Ryder Cup-ish, where he took down Bryson DeChambeau in a six-hole playoff and really was that whole round was between Bryson DeChambeau and him before uh, that final six-hole playoff. It was really the five holes leading up before that. It was a playoff-type format, and he was resilient, earned the nickname Patty Ice. So I think even though he has no official Ryder Cup experience, he will be great in this tournament. So my top five players looking forward to in the Ryder Cup are Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, John Rahm, Patrick Cantlay. Now who wins? To me, I think I can count on Team Europe's heavy hitters more than uh, Team USA. The Rory McIlroy's, the John Rahm's, Ian Poulter, who's familiar in this format, uh, Sergio Garcia, those two vets right there. Uh, so to me, those are really good. But to me, I don't know about their bottom players that they have. Tommy Fleetwood hasn't been great. Shane, Shane Lowry, Burned Weissenberger. Uh, whereas Team USA just has consistent, great uh, team. Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, uh, Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson. It's just our favorite team. That's the thing. Uh, uh, Ian Poulter says that they're the underdog, and I don't know why they are when they are retaining this trophy. Needs 14 points to win, whereas Team USA 
needs 14 and a half. And honestly, I like the talent on Team USA, but I'm picking Team Europe to win. I just think the chemistry is there between the players, even if they don't have the greatest collection of talent. Uh, I think they'll find a way to repeat and get it done, and it'll be a crushing blow uh, to uh, Team USA. I think instead of making maybe a Harris English pick if I was Steve Stricker uh, out on there, I'd want a veteran like Phil Mickelson to be on there. I think one of those key things might be his undoing. So that's it, folks. This has been Get Your Goat. I'll talk to you all soon. Tomorrow, Thursday Night Football, Carolina-Houston. Who do you think wins? Do you think Houston pulls off the upset? Or does Carolina remain undefeated at 3-0? I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye, everybody.